Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, it's Erica, and welcome back to another episode of In Doubt. We're so happy you're here with us, and today's episode is one you won't want to miss. We've got Daniel here talking with Dr. Josh Cruz, a psychologist and pastor of counseling at Village Church. Daniel and Josh are taking some time today to discuss mental health, what it is, how to practically improve your own mental health, and even support the mental health of those around you. We're so glad you're here and hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin. I'm joined today by Dr. Josh Cruz, who is, uh, he wears a few hats. He is a psychologist and he is also a pastor at Village Church here in British Columbia. So Josh, good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. The pleasure is all mine. So Josh, just for our listeners here, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and then we can just go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a huge part of myself, uh, family. So I've uh, been wor- married to my wife, Rachel, for uh, almost 18 years. We have four kids and started early and unexpectedly. Our oldest is 17, uh, grade 12, 16-year-old daughter, 11-year-old daughter, and then nine-year-old son. And so, uh, yeah, they're a big part of our world. And especially with COVID, everything going on, we see them a lot. Like they're, <laughs> we're in the house, they're in the house. Uh, a lot of fun uh, at times, a lot of tension in there too. Yeah, so training, I uh, did a PhD in clinical psychology, and that was never the plan from the beginning. Uh, I was going one step at a time. I was uh, actually, when we got pregnant in undergrad, I I was doing business and hating it. It hated me. I was barely going to school. I was playing uh, junior hockey at the time. And I, yeah, it was like a wake up call. I should probably grow up a little bit and loved my psych courses. It didn't feel like a class. Like, oh, I get to learn about myself, learn about other people. And just, I just picked it. All right, let's go down this route. And so did a bachelor's degree, want to do counseling. And so a lot of times you have to do a master's. So ended up doing that. And in my master's, I was then wrestling with my faith with psychology and what do I do with these and they feel compartmentalized. And so uh, thankfully my wife was open for me doing a PhD at Biola University where integration of faith and and counseling is uh, their primary thing. So got to deep dive into that even more so. Um, yeah, finished a PhD, was a professor at Trinity Western University. I was uh, uh, on faculty in the undergrad psych department, and that was my plan going forward. And then started attending Village Church, um, loved it, and just got into conversations around coming in in a shepherding type role, which was never part of the trajectory. I was like doing a PhD program to be a psychologist. They're not saying, oh, maybe you'll be a pastor but it fits so well, uh, just being able to integrate faith and psychology and, and to do that really well. So then came on about six years ago, and I feel like I got another degree just in the experience of uh, what does this look like in a church context, and um, it can get messy at times, especially with the, uh, wearing the psychologist hat and the legal ethical requirements, but then within a church setting where typically don't have those same sort of boundaries or uh, restrictions. But it's been such a such a beautiful thing. Uh, no regrets. I've grown as a person in my faith so much. Yeah. So my my plan, my intention is to, to keep on in the church uh, till I retire. But we'll see what God has for me. 
Definitely. Are you kind of, are you full-time or do you still get to practice some of your psychology? Yeah, so full-time at the church, but then I still do uh, half a day a week of um, private practice counseling. But part of my role at the church is providing counseling, but primarily training and equipping. We have a counseling department, so I have grad students that come through. We've got uh, volunteer counselors, either professionals or lay counselors, and so a lot of supervision, equipping. Uh, but then I'll, I'll meet with couples, I'll meet with individuals as well out of the church and, and then do the small practice on the side. Great. That's awesome. Well, first, before we kind of jump into some of, I guess, more of the, of the topic, can, we, can you define some terms for us? Because oftentimes I hear the words mental health, I hear the words anxiety, depression, maybe bipolar, and maybe there's some that I've missed that you might find are helpful. But I think those words are thrown out and people mean different things when they say them. So if you could Mm -hmm. define some of these for us, that would be really helpful, I think. Sure. Uh, uh, Mental health, essentially uh, emotional, psychological, social, spiritual well-being. I know those are big categories, but that the umbrella term of mental health would come under that. It's like the basics of our psychology are thinking, feeling, behavior or action. Um, and a lot of times I'll make it that they call it like the triangle, I'll make it a bit more of a diamond of also the sensations or physiology of what goes on inside this, um, if we put those pieces together, really impact or they're under the surface of why we do what we do. Um, so having that understanding, um, yeah, when it comes to, let's say anxiety, whole range in there, we all experience anxiety to some level. It's different if we're talking about an anxiety disorder. So basic level anxiety, worry, concern over areas of everyday life, anxiety disorder would be a bit more of a, like it's interfering with everyday life, like panic attacks, anxiety attacks, those sort of things. Yeah, because it sounds to me like lots of anxiety, that's a normal part of life. Like getting nervous before a test, that would, you could say that's anxiety, but that's, that's a very normal thing. I think a lot of people have been through that, nervous for a new job, uh, nervous for a first date, second date, whatever, right? That, you could say, well, that's anxiety. And would you say that, hey, these are normal emotions? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's actually preparing, a, anxiety's job is to alert us to things within this world that matter. So let's say a relationship, I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety right now. It's our physiology, our psychology's way of saying, hey, pay attention. I mean, if it's a first date, pay attention to a lot. How am I coming across? Who are they? How am I engaging? I've got an exam and I've got zero um, arousal, so to speak, or alert in me. I'm probably not studying. Um, Like we need some of that. Or a big example, I heard a great TED talk on this where if we actually want to grow in life, if we want to stretch ourselves, that means that when you stretch something, you put tension on that. Tension is a form of anxiety. So if we're actually going to grow into something we're going to feel it like it's going to show up on, on our radar saying, Oh, this is a big deal. Let's say we're stepping out in some way, whether it is asking somebody out, whether it's going for a job interview, uh, whether it's, uh, I mean, uh, even this right here, any speaking engagements, it's, I'm not just sitting in my room. Um, yeah. Fiddling my thumbs, watching a show. My system's like, Hey, you're on, you need to be on right now. And I'm thankful for that. Otherwise, yeah, I'm off daydreaming, doing, doing my own thing. So no, anxiety, um, we need to work with it. And I think if we actually had a good relationship with it, we'd be pushing ourselves even more because it's not like, ah, well, why is this coming up? I hate this. Uh, let's run from it towards comfort. We'd actually be leaning into making ourselves more uncomfortable because the big picture why 
this matters. I'm growing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm extending uh, myself into new territory, so to speak. Right. So when does that go from normal to now this is a disorder? Yeah, I think a lot of times when it interferes with relationships, with work, with school, uh, we start moving into a little bit more of the avoidance type stuff to where, yeah, I mean, this can be depression as well, but I'm not getting out of bed. Um, I'm avoiding social engagements around this, especially in the heightened states, like more of an anxiety or panic attack. Our system, it's not just, ooh, there's a bit of tension or I'm noticing it in my chest somewhat. But no, my my breath is becoming a lot shallower and my heart's pounding out of my chest. Like, yeah, now we're in the anxiety disorder type zone. Um, and so there's panic disorder where you're having more panic attacks or there's generalized anxiety. Like, And some people just, God wired us different. Some people rev higher and they've got an active thought life. Like there's some people you ask them, hey, what are you thinking about right now? And they're like, uh, nothing. And they actually aren't thinking about anything. And it's not, they're not dumb. It's not, they're not like in La La Land. It's, they just, they're not as active um, in terms of what's spinning in their head and others. Well, which one of the three things that I'm spinning right now do you want to hear about? And so that could be a little bit more of an anxious mindset, but doesn't mean you have an anxiety disorder per se. Definitely. So I guess then moving into some of the, the nitty gritty, I want to ask a question. It's kind of a, a cultural question. But to what extent do we see technology and, and social media? To what extent do we see that affecting our mental health? Does it spike anxiety, depression? Because that's one of the common things I hear a lot. Yeah. I, I, so if we view our brain, like we're, we're efficient people, thinkers. I think it's part of how God wired us. That's where habits can come into place. Um, that's where COVID, I think, has been extra uh, upsetting or overwhelming for us because all of a sudden there's all this change. And so there's a stimulation overload. Um, what am I able to do? What am I not able to do? And how are finances going to be? And what about health? And what about this? And now I have to work from home or now I, I'm not working. Like that is a lot of brain energy to use up. We need rest. We need to then slow down. We need to be able to then ground things um, in there. So when it comes to social media, I was listening to a good podcast, John Mark Comer and I think Jefferson uh, Batke, they were talking about, um, man, this world is uh, going at such a fast pace. We need to slow down a little bit more. And they were talking about the stimulation overload. If we go back like 1700s, 1800s, um, in terms of social engagement and contact, somebody would have to like show up at your house, like uh, or let's go back like horse and buggy. And then they're there and you're engaged with them and you find out the news of what they've been up to for a while. Man, you jump on um, and obviously a lot of beauty and health with technology, especially with church. We're able to do church even over the internet. Awesome, incredible. But then um, in terms of stimulation, it is so high. So hop onto Instagram in a matter of five seconds, you just had uh, many snapshots of five to 10 different people in their world. Once again, let's go back to the 1700s. You just get that one person in the moment, your brain, it's got a lot of space to work with it, but you're opening all these little files, every, every page you then scroll um, or every post um, then on, let's say Instagram there, that's a lot for your brain to then take in. And, and it's just buzzing. That's where I mean, sleep can be difficult for people too, because it's like, in bed going through all this and then all of a sudden shut it down. It's like, well, wait a minute. I need to like consolidate some of this information. And 
um, how am I going to go to sleep in the midst of everything that I'm taking in? So, no, I think it, it, it can overstimulate us. That's the, that's the risk or the downside of it. Yeah. Let's talk about how we improve mental health in individuals, because what we're kind of saying here is as Christians, look, we can pray for one another. We can get in community with one another, be with one another. I want to turn this to our secular world. How do they say that we should be maintaining and improving our mental health? And I'll, I'll just lead with this. One critique I often hear about doctors is they just throw medication at it. And I'm, I'm in the, the camp that I think as Christians even, medication can be a good and a helpful thing. And if that's something that's, that can help you, then yeah, definitely take some medication that it might help balance out some of the different, uh, you know, the chemical imbalances happening in your brain. And that's, in my view, that's okay. But to make that the only piece, I don't think is, is healthy. I think our, our bodies and our lives and our minds, you kind of explain that triangle, we are holistic and there's multiple different pieces to that. So how does the secular world say to maintain improved mental health? And then where does the secular world fall short? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if you do a psych 101 class, we'll talk about bio, psycho, social um, in there too. And um, but then there's also a spiritual. So the secular world, a big part of it would be biologically what's going on. Medication would be a component of that. And the risk would be, hey, I'm feeling a little bit off. I'm feeling down. I'm a little anxious. Um, okay, meds. Let's do that. Like meds first. Um, I'm, I'm not a meds first psychologist, but there are times where it's, I think you should talk with your doctor about medication. Like if somebody's, uh, yeah, severely depressed state, um, or they're not able to lean into what's depressing them because they're that depressed, you might need a bumper of boost for a time or who knows because of uh, brain chemistry indefinitely in order to actually work on what's going on to get the tools to process through what's depressing you in there or anxiety. Some people, they rev so much higher that they need a little bit of uh, a bringing down. Once again, not as the only uh, method. This is the like, yeah, holistic multi-pronged approach. Let's come into that. And, and why wouldn't we? Um, we've got access to resources in multiple areas. Why just pick one and go like, let's in a robust way, lean into it. And so when I say I'm not a meds first uh, therapist, except for those uh, yeah, more significant examples, um, I'll say, let's do what we can from our end. And we'll see if you're not able to do the work. Yeah, we might go to meds uh, first on that end. But otherwise, let's see how much of the the mood, the anxiety, the depression, we can help alleviate. And you might find that that's all you needed. You actually don't need to knock on the meds door, so to speak. So what does the secular world offer? It's, um, I mean, the physical stuff like exercise is big. Um, these are just some of the natural pieces, rest, nutrition, relaxation. This is huge. Um, the whole, if somebody's uh, freaking out, so to speak, or overwhelmed in some regard, it's calm down, take a deep breath. Like the stuff that we don't want to hear in the moment, like I'll calm you down, uh, shut up. Uh, it's because, yeah, there's that angst, that anger, uh, that the emotions in the moment, but there's something powerful that happens on a brain level when we can take a deep breath. Uh, we can start thinking more clearly. The more emotionally activated we are, the more, I guess, dumb we are in those moments. So by taking those deep breaths, slowing down um, the diaphragmatic or belly breathing, um, if, you're, if you've been a singer or if you've had a baby, you've probably been taught it in some regard, but slowing down your breathing, holding, 
and then releasing and then holding and then releasing. Um, they'll talk about like the rhythm of an ocean, that idea. So secular psychology uh, would put that out there. I, I do that with people. If they come into a session and they're pretty amped, like, oh, I was running in traffic and then this happened and that happened too. I'm going to try to co-regulate with them to a certain extent, like, oh, like taking some of my own deep breaths and just, hey, can we, can we do some grounding right here? Can we take some deep breaths and first look around the room and what do you notice? And oh, what do you hear? What can you touch? Uh, what the textures? And so that would, that'd be very natural, like the biological part. And can I just jump in there too? Because that's, that's interesting because I often would view that as it's almost meditation. Right. And growing up in a, in a Christian home, Christian world, be like, well, any sort of breathing stuff like that, like that's bad, you know, or maybe some people who there's Christians who don't agree with yoga and that, you know, that sounds a lot like yoga that you're doing these breathing meditations. Uh, but you're, you're right on a natural level. There's nothing wrong with like actually slowing down breathing and then like God created us with bodies and we sometimes have to get in control of that body. Mm hmm. Well, and that gets right into the crux of that whole uh, secular spiritual piece. But mindfulness is really big in the psychology world. Uh, in its basic definition, mindfulness is to become aware, to be mindful um, instead of passive autopilot. And so there's a lot of research around this on a brain level, physiology level uh, for anxiety, depression, all sorts of stuff to slow down, take deep breaths and tune into what's happening in the present moment letting thoughts drift on by. It's like a river and a leaf comes. It sounds so wonderful when they frame it. And you just acknowledge that, oh, worry about, worry about finances. And you let it drift on by. And that might come back. And you label it. And you let it drift on by. In its most basic sense, that's mindfulness. Nothing wrong with that. The risk would be a lot of times mindfulness is under the umbrella of like a Buddhist philosophy and become, about becoming one with yourself or even yoga. Stretching, like I, I do uh, like a Saturday morning run. I stretch before. I don't think I'm being heretical or sacrilegious in the midst of that. I'm just trying to loosen my muscles. The risk would be, though, whether it's like a chanting or I'm entering into this spiritual realm apart from God. So, yeah, that's dangerous. Um, and we do need to run from those things. So, but let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. And, and that's the risk of psychology sometimes. Like, I don't know. There's some stuff I'm not so sure about. Let's not do any of it. No, let's reclaim the pieces that are actually helpful, like our physiology, understanding of the brain, emotions, behaviors, and let's slow down. We can be mindful in this moment, or even a more explicit, like the contemplative traditions of centering prayer um, or contemplative prayer, slowing down, deep breathing, and just being present in the moment, knowing that, uh, especially then for Christians, God, you are with me in this moment, and I just want to sit with you for a little bit. I mean, if, if he's real, which he is, and I'm slowing down and I can really sense his presence, how soothing is that? Uh, yeah, we're relational. Like there's a comfort. I'm not in this on my own. Ah, wow, we can actually find that if we slow down enough. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. So that's been an extra piece that um, scripture has to offer um, or a Christian worldview does. A uh, small side note, my PhD research was around anxiety and centering prayer. And what we did was secular intervention of progressive muscle relaxation. You tense and then you release your muscle groups. It helps calm and soothe the body. Research shows it's helpful. So we did that and compared it to centering prayer where you sit uh, for the same amount of time and you are, you're, you're slowing down your breathing, but then you're connecting with, uh, there might be a word or some Maranatha, come Lord, 
Um, basically, I'm here to sit with you, God. I'm here to hang out with you and slow it down. We found it was just as effective and at times even more effective in bringing anxiety down. Well, what happened there? I mean, we're tapping into a supernatural resource, which has supernatural impact then for us. So that's where, yeah, secular uh, psychology, you can focus on your biology, slow things down, but then even incorporate, um, yeah, Christ in the midst of that too. Uh, secular psychology has uh, talks about emotions and thinking and negative thinking there. Helpful. Let's explore that. If I then am waking up in the morning and today is going to be horrible, um, I'm, I'm, I'm garbage, I'm unlovable. Well, that's something that we need to work through. Um, even secular psychologists would say that same thing. Like That's going to bring you down and impact your mood and what you do. That is great work. And that's, I think, part of the common grace part of God's working there too. Whether you say, because the Bible says, or Jesus said that. But how much more powerful is it when we can take like the living, active word of God and bring truth into that and transform our mind? Absolutely. So just to jump on what you're already saying, too, is um, I've heard you talked before about the, the four R's. Could you explain kind of how you integrate those in uh, with our faith as well? Yeah. So uh, the four R's of, of rest, um, it, retreat, refuel repurpose, re-engage. Uh, we are, we we're talking about social media earlier. We're in a fast-paced culture. There's a lot going on, lots of info. And if we don't ever slow down to consolidate some of that, then it's not, we're actually going to lose information. We're not going to retain uh, stuff. And then we're going to live in an anxious state. Like our physiology, like our bodies need us to slow down. And, and I, we give ourselves permission for sleep. Uh, like Dan, if you're then saying, um, I didn't sleep last night or the night before. It's just I'm a busy guy. I got a lot going on. I think generally, culturally, we'd be like, uh, that's not healthy, Dan. Uh, you're not killing it. You're killing yourself here. Like, get some sleep. But when it comes to like how much sleep, and then also during the day, like actually resting our minds, we we need that, especially in light of uh, COVID or um, stressors that come in. We need to then, and so here comes the first our retreat take a step back from those things, the things that are spinning us, the things that are um, activating us. As much as we can, we step back from events, tasks, uh, social engagements, uh, which has, for a lot of people, been quite freeing, just not being able to enter into those things. But moving back, taking some deep breaths, like we're getting super practical here, and then focus on really then now the second are refueling, getting the gas, filling our tanks, so to speak like actually slowing down to uh, that still small voice, the Holy Spirit, um, in the midst of what's going on. Okay, God, uh, how can I actually find rest? How can I find you in the midst of this? And this will be person by person. Like, what are the things that are actually, like, as you guys are listening right now, what's restful for you? Like, if you were to get super practical and say, look, I've got a weekend coming up, or um, I've got two days off, I've got a day off, or even an evening, uh, what would be most restful for me? And then doing that, um, whether it's uh, reading, uh, having a bath, running, prayer time, quiet time. Josh, for you, what's what's most restful for you? Uh, so I, I have different rhythms. So uh, my daily rhythm, um, and I'm not, this isn't my Sunday school answer, but it's the truth. Like my, my quiet time with God is huge for me. If I'm anxious about something or not, but especially if I am, it's such a grounding moment for me to slow down, even if it's just 15 or 20 minutes, 
I put on worship music. That's also restful for me. And it helps reorient then my mind towards who he is and who I am. Because usually if I'm getting worried or anxious about something, I go into me um, and then I'm just looking at my natural resources and I don't have it in me. Um, whereas when I tap into him, I connect with him. That's grounding. That's a daily thing. But then also my other, my family is a huge part of my refuel. So making sure I have good intentional time with them. Uh, that's one nice thing. I've been working at home more. And so I'll go jump on the trampoline. I'll like take like a five minute, 10 minute break. Like most people's uh, eye watches, uh, they've got the, hey, breathe, stand up, go walk around. I'll do that. Yeah, some motivation. Uh, that's just the physical part. Walks. Like I'll go for a walk with my wife. It actually, I process out loud a lot of the time. So I'll be talking. She'll be talking. That's great. I do that in my refuel. And then um, I, I love and I hate running. So, but it's good for me. Every Saturday morning, I'll go, I'll run a 10K and put a podcast on. And I get my introvert refuel during that time while getting the endorphins going. So it's a bit of a double up. And I come back and I'm on fire in a good way. Like, all right, what are we doing today? What does that look like? So those are big parts of how I then refuel. So I've retreated, refuel, repurpose. This is a big part of the, okay, God, whatever it is that's draining me, whatever it is that just feels like too much or is overwhelming me, I, I surrender myself to you. What is it that you are wanting me to do? Um, and and heard this the other day. It talks about, um, uh, this is around boundary stuff, that uh, we're saying, when we say yes to something, we're saying no to something as well. And that's important. So if I'm going to repurpose, if I'm going to live my life intentionally, taking control of what I can, then what am I saying yes to? What are my top priorities here? Does family matter to me? If it does, then that should show up in my schedule for sure. Um, and sometimes you need to protect that, especially if your schedule is so full. If uh, exercise matters to you, if friendships matter to you, if time with God matters to you, like those are things that we need to be saying yes to so that we're saying no to other things. Um, otherwise, it won't happen. We get turned upside down and we end up doing things that we shouldn't. But God, what is it that you're calling me to? And then setting those boundaries there for the last hour, re-engage, to then re-engage. I've been refueled. I found that rest. And now I'm going to go because we're called to go out um, into this world um, and, and carry out whatever it is that God has for us in that next hour, that next day, that next week, that next season. So this, uh, the whole four hours can be anything down to the moment. Like I just need, I'm buzzing right now and I need to slow down. Okay. Well, retreat, refuel, repurpose, re-engage for the next 30 minutes. But sometimes it's seasonally. All right. Well, we can do some of that pulling back to then figure out, especially that repurpose. God, what do you have for me as I move into it? And then we re-engage from that place. Yeah. Um, listen, we're out of time here, but this has been amazing. Josh, thank you for being a part of the program and, and just sharing your life, your thoughts, your work. And we look forward to chatting with you again at some point. Oh, I love it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. We can't stress the importance of mental health enough. So thanks to Dr. Josh Cruz for joining us and giving us some practical tips for a healthier state of mind. And if you liked hearing from Josh, you're in luck. Join us again in two weeks when Daniel and Josh will be back to talk more about mental health and some of the psychology behind this often daunting topic. In Doubt is all about answering the tough questions of faith in God and the Bible. If this is something that you'd like to be a part of, would you consider participating in our fiscal year end this month? The goal for In Doubt is to reach $75,000 by June 30th. 
Your gift would mean so much as we continue answering the tough questions of life and faith that young adults are asking. Check out indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. to give today. And we can't wait to see you next week when Daniel is back with guest Jonathan Evans for part two of their conversation surrounding the poor and what we as Christians can do to help. See you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.